Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and this week's episode is another snippet out of my book, Mural Money, all about branding. I think artists both drastically underutilize while also overly complicate the idea of creating a brand in order to sell art. I'll explain. Let's start with the overcomplicated idea. (laughs) Your brand is you. It's not a font or a page header or a logo. It's your style. It's your personality. It's what you can bring to the table in terms of creating. So if you take anything away from that, just know that it's it's really simple and self-awareness is your brand display. And I'll explain more in this episode, but that's the simple gist of it. <laughs> this episode, like I said, is a section out of my book, Mural Money, on the subject of how to elevate, potentially harm, and take ownership of your own brand. I tell stories about how I was able to do all of that Yes, including harm my own brand by making poor decisions (laughs) in these two chapters. And I had to include this part of the book because these were big lessons learned the hard way for me. (laughs) Every time I'm introduced to a new artist and I see them doing things like dressing inappropriately and constantly showing up late or doing anything that hurts their brand, I can't help but think, no, it's so hard to come back from that. So this is my shout out to my younger self, if that were possible, and anyone new to the idea of being your own boss. If you like the sneak peek episode of my book, Mural Money, then I highly encourage you to get the audio version of the full book with over 15 hours of listening inspiration. I'm currently running a special for just $17 for the audio version at muralmoney.com. Simple. That's the book name, muralmoney.com. And it comes with a bunch of extras like my art supply list, pricing guide, recommended book and podcast list, and so much more. I filled this book with tips from my journey of building a profitable mural career. Plus, I've included the best of the best advice from guests I've interviewed on this podcast for the past few years. It's my most affordable all-in-one book of advice on art and business. And if you enjoy listening to me here, I know you'll enjoy the book too, because I read it myself. And the book is available on Amazon and Audible normally for $25. But if you go to muralmoney.com, that is where you you can grab the special $17 deal while it lasts. It's not going to be forever. So if you haven't listened to my book yet, this is your sign to do it. Muralmoney.com, normally $25. You get it for $17 for the audio version, but you have to go to muralmoney.com. Okay. Anyway, let's get to this episode and let me know what you think about this episode all about creating your own brand. Chapter 14, Create Your Brand. Creating a brand, marketing, promoting, and all of those intimidating business words are often thought as difficult to achieve and learn. However, creating a brand by promoting and marketing your content on social media is one of the easiest things you can do to build your business. This is because your brand is ultimately you. Your brand is who you are and what your painting style is. As you niche down and define your expertise, your brand will appear. I don't want you to overthink this. From experience and after posting quite a bit online, I eventually stumbled upon my brand. 
I could visually see it in my posts. My brand includes a lot of color, you know, some white space even to help balance it out and fun imagery, you know, things like bright clouds, positive messages and me wearing pink often on my social media. You know, these are things I love and unavoidably they have become my brand. Some of the things that currently define my brand, if I had to list them out, are like large-scale murals, uh, painting in a pink t-shirt, butterflies and clouds, inspirationally positive things, logos and lettering, and then the Artist Academy. So I'd love to challenge you to stop right now and go to the notes section of your phone or jot down a few things that could possibly describe your brand. What's your favorite color? How do you want others to describe you? You know, what are a few of your favorite things? Can these things be related back to art in some way? This is very similar to finding your niche, but a little different. You know, so I've been told by a few followers that keep up with my content, you know, for my art that they also enjoy watching how much fun I have just by doing what I love. Like when I create content, I naturally create an upbeat tone and I don't hold back from showing the enjoyment I get from painting. And that tone has become part of my brand for a long time. I thought that I needed to be this straight-laced, poker-faced business person if I was ever going to make it as an entrepreneur. I had it in my head that nobody would take me seriously if I was my happy-go-lucky self. I believed this to be true because when I was in my early 20s, an older businessman took it upon himself to correct my demeanor. When I first sat next to this man for a meeting, I plopped down on the chair and sat in front of them and introduced myself with a big smile on my face in a very cheerful way. We were talking about possibly working together and I was so excited about the idea that I couldn't hold back my enthusiasm. I wasn't screaming at him or I wasn't being crazy. I was just excited and happy and I was very open about what I had planned and what my pay rates were and I also wanted to bounce some ideas off of him. We were on our way to agreeing to work together. I was shocked when towards the end of our meeting, he stated, you know, you should really be more business-like. He compared me to another girl that he had met with who had a more somber tone and just, she had a more like poker face. That's the best way I can describe it. You know, he said, I think you'll be able to negotiate better deals if you're more professional. He expressed that he wanted me to really be more like him. You know, some descriptive words that best fit him were monotone to the point and slightly aggressive. (laughs) Being in my early 20s and easily influenced, I took this bad advice to heart. What did I know about being in business for myself? Practically nothing at this point. To be fair, he probably did think that he was doing me a favor. You know, his past experiences probably showed him that this was the best way to get things accomplished. I'm sure it works for some people, and I realize there's a time and place for everything. However, what he was suggesting was for me to change who I am. I doled down my enthusiasm when meeting with new customers and even in writing emails for a long time after that. I didn't want to seem too friendly. (laughs) Crazy. But It was so ingrained in my mind that I designed my website with minimal color and even dressed the part. I didn't want to be too colorful. It took a long time for me to shed that bad advice completely. I took small steps back to finding myself and creating a brand that is truly me without holding back. And I mean, this took years, but I started wearing pink after years of hearing redheads can't wear pink. 
which is a lie. The reasoning was something about the color clashing with the shades of my color and my skin and my hair. I can't remember exactly, but I think the person who, you know, started that just maybe didn't like pink, but I now wear pink a lot. So you can do whatever you want. (laughs) I now continuously smile when I talk to my customers because I have found that if you smile at someone, they often smile back. (laughs) Everyone except the monotone business guy, that is. I've since received countless comments, messages, and emails from customers who say that they appreciate my attitude and positive energy. The tone in my social media captions slowly changed from simple and direct to an exciting storytelling format, complete with fun emojis. (laughs) If anyone signs up for my email list, they'll often get a welcome email that starts with, hey, and then whatever their name is. (laughs) And then on top of that, my art has gotten more and more colorful as my imposter syndrome barriers have been breaking down. You know, it didn't all happen at once, but rather little by little as I slowly realized that nobody else was calling me out for not fitting in with their perception of what business professional means. I think the wave of authenticity on social media has helped everyone feel more open and to a new way of doing business. You know, I think it's just a little bit more accepted now to be your true self or be human in a business environment. Since you are painting every day and posting your content consistently, your brand will reveal itself eventually. Just remember to be yourself and try to keep away from posting messages that are heavy or negative. People often get enough of that online, so we'll just turn them off. But so let's just focus on the positive. And there's an age old advice that things like religion and politics are best left out of business. Unfortunately, these debatable conversations can turn nasty and negative quickly. So I believe that they should be avoided on your art business social media. You can do whatever you want. This is just a suggestion. But for instance, I live in an area where being a Christian and a Republican are the most popular things to be right now. I'm neither of those things. So you can imagine why I choose to leave that out of my social media content. And off the script, if anybody's listening and maybe is a really proud one of those things and you hear that I'm not, it automatically can make you know a feeling come up for you and maybe some of your customers too. It's just automatic. So I don't post or comment about anything related to those topics because it could ultimately hurt my business. So even if you enjoy a good social media role, I would advise against it for the sake of your growing business. If you're a diehard like Christian or you're, if you're a diehard and well, whatever, and you're like, I want this to be a part of my brand, like say, say you want to create, I don't know, very religious art, then go for it. Like have it be, you know, part of your brand. But if not, then it's up to you. But these are just my thoughts. But remember how you present yourself online is all a part of your brand. You know, one of the easiest ways for you to determine your brand is to, again, Ask your friends, just like you did for your niece, you know, request that they give you five words that would describe your aesthetic and art. How would they describe you? You may be shocked to hear what they say and push for five words. Don't just say one, say five. For example, 
In addition to my list of brand descriptions above, people tend to think of me when they see content about cats. This is because I have posted quite a bit of content about my cat or our journey to introducing a new cat into the family. And I've also painted a couple of large cat paintings over the years that have gained recognition. And as you can see, you know, you don't need to rush yourself to find a brand or niche because It'll come naturally, just like, you know, everything, just give it time and have fun discovering your own personal identity. This is a fun process. Think about what you love creating and do just that. I found that people buy art for the artist and not necessarily always for the art itself. You know, I became the butterfly wings girl around town. Now people see butterflies or even the color pink and they, they'll they send me similar images just because it makes them think of me. You know, seeing my repeated content made them connect with me in all things butterflies and pink just like a niche, you know, you know that you'll have an established successful brand when people begin to connect you with certain images, colors, or aesthetics. You don't even have to overthink the aesthetics on your Instagram. Just post and go. <laughs> your brand will come to light on its own. Overplanning can prevent you from actually promoting your business, which is the most important thing right now. You know, a lot of people will plan out their grid with certain colors. Like, no, just post photos, figure that out later. <laughs> I think many people are afraid that being authentic online means that you have to overshare as well, but that's simply not true. <laughs> there are parts of my life that my followers will never know about. However, many still feel like they know me pretty well because I do share bits and pieces of my life, including my work, my cats, and sometimes my very supportive husband. <laughs> Elevate your brand. I unknowingly created an aspect of my brand that involves traveling and painting. It just so happens that many love to travel or the idea of traveling, which is what made my brand more desirable. You know, this part of my brand became known as the Worldwide Wings section. We've been over that, but my followers started to recognize me as the artist who would travel and volunteer to paint butterfly wings for businesses, schools, and organizations. And I've always been a traveler, though. You know, before I was trying to brand or even accidentally ran into this brand, like that's just what I did. But it took me visiting about 30 countries before I got the idea to be painting wherever I traveled. You know, since we often have quite a bit of downtime during your trips, I figured I could spread my paint to more places than just you know the United States and Canada. I can still remember that first location where I got the idea to include paintings with my journeys. We were planning to spend a couple weeks in Australia and New Zealand just to explore, and I decided that I wanted to paint some butterfly wings. You know, we've heard the story about how the wings spread across the world, but just to get into a little bit more of how it happened, just in case you want to maybe do this too, I did a quick Google search and found a local primary school. I sent an email proposed to Queenstown Primary School, highlighting my butterfly wing idea and expressing that I wanted to call it hashtag worldwide wings and I wanted to start with them. I also included my plan to paint things wings in different countries around the world. And as a final touch, I attached a few images of previous wings that I had painted in my hometown and hit send. Whew. Within a couple days of sending the proposal, a teacher emailed me back, letting me know that they would love to have me. We established a date that I could come paint and I reassured them that it would be an easy process. 
I didn't ask for money for the mural because we would be in the area anyway and I wanted to do the project just for fun. They only provided the supplies. Just a month later, we flew to Australia and explored the area before we headed over to New Zealand by flying in directly into Queenstown. I was only in New Zealand for a day before I met with the principal and the school. She seemed both confused and excited. Happy to have the artwork, but was confused about how the process would go. Same, but we were just kind of winging it. <laughs> they set me up with a wall and all the supplies I needed to get started, including paint and brushes. As I created the butterfly wings mural, I made sure to film the whole process. As I was painting, we did an educational lesson with the kids about how the butterfly population in the area was decreasing. We also informed them that they could attract more butterflies to the area by simply planting more stinging nettles. That night, I posted the content online and expressed my goals for painting the hashtag Worldwide Wings on a volunteer basis. I was very open about how excited I was and my small Facebook following at the time absolutely loved the idea. It was very different. <laughs> that post got a lot of engagement and support. They didn't seem to care that I was doing it just for fun and I wasn't planning on charging for these wing murals. You know, the idea of painting as I traveled was a desirable concept to many and they were invested in seeing more content about my Worldwide Wings adventures. So with just one post, I had branded myself as a worldwide artist who painted butterfly wings and people were eating it up. This interesting aspect about my life made my artwork more desirable in turn. I got quite a bit of attention for something that was to me seemingly small. For the next several months, anytime I painted for a business, I would get asked about my travels and the wings I was scattering around the world even though I just painted one. <laughs> In their eyes, this made the work I did for them even better and more impressive. They could tell other people that I was a world traveling artist and that they had one of my pieces at their location. It became a bragging point for my customers. You know, I didn't have to promote myself as this world traveling artist just by being myself and posting bits of my life on social media. People became fans of the brand I was developing. You know, we all gravitate towards brands that we admire because they market themselves in a way that, you know, makes us desire their service or products. But you can absolutely do the same for your art business and make it work for you. There are so many ways you can develop a desirable brand without having to leave your hometown. You know, if traveling the world or painting is something you want to do, then go for it. After all, it worked for me, you know, in the development of my own brand. However, I know that it isn't always feasible for everyone or even something at the top of everyone's list of things to do. So pick your own thing. <laughs> One exciting way you can create an appealing brand is to focus on making your art really good. Okay, I get it. We all try to make art that's like the best we can, right? So let me be more specific. Like hone in on making your art ultra detailed and realistic. People love art that can jump right off the canvas because it brings a wow factor. Becoming known as the artist who creates very realistic images as a branding strategy that would outbid all others any day. You don't even need to focus on you know anything else. It, just focusing on your art and making it really good, that's a branding strategy. You can also attach your name to a charity you're passionate about or regularly donate part of your art proceeds to that cause. You know, for example, if your niche is painting forests or animals, you could give part of your earnings to the World Wildlife Foundation. Everybody knows about that organization. And this could bring recognition and a boost to your brand. You know, giving money to a charity is an admirable thing. And as long as you portray it in a humble way on social media, 
it can bring positive awareness to your brand. Many people make it a point to purchase from companies and brands that are known for giving back. In fact, I had a friend tell me once that she bought a brand new pair of shoes that she like sort of liked, but she was just an excuse to buy them because the company had given a portion of the profits on the shoes to a local dog shelter and it made her happy to know that she could have contributed to saving a dog's life (laughs) rather than choosing any other shoes. She chose those because of that reason. Although I want to caution you about using charities to your brand. So if you aren't really passionate about the cause, your audience will sense that about you. Like I said, people can smell fakeness. The idea isn't to trick people into buying art from you. The point is to dig deep and figure out who you are and what you want to represent with your brand. A perfect example of an artist that I know who has grown her brand by connecting it with wildlife foundations that matter for her is Sarah McComb Turbin. Sarah joined the Artist Academy in 2020 and her application stood out to me due to her very interesting academic background. Sarah was painting beautiful, detailed animal portraits on canvas following her interest in ocean life after her bachelor's of science degree in biology. She went on to obtain a master's of science in marine biology with a focus in statistical ecology in addition to animal movement and behavior. (laughs) Throughout her career, her research has focused around two species, the longfin pilot whales of northern Cape Britain, Nova Scotia, and gentoo penguins in the Falkland Islands. She realized art was her true calling after finishing college, spending all this time studying animals, and she's like, nope. I want to paint. (laughs) I could listen to her talk about her scientific adventures for hours. Sarah's a great storyteller. For example, at once she said, during our residency for six weeks, I led a team of four by myself to two of the different Falkland Islands where our only communication back to the mainland was 140 characters and research messages that were expensive as hell. We could only send one each day. Gentoo penguins are huge. One day we were literally in the car, an all-girl team, hyping ourselves up to go out and do our job of tagging them for blood samples. They terrified us. (laughs) Now she's taking all of those amazing reference photos that she gathered during her various academic adventures and she's using them to paint. Penguins, whales, dolphins, and various other ocean life are her specialties. She's leaning into her interests and painting what she had spent so many years studying and witnessing firsthand. Sarah was first introduced to the Artists for Conservation at a conference in Vancouver. According to their website, the Artists for Conservation is the world's leading artist group supporting the environment. This organization represents approximately 500 artists from 30 countries in the nature slash wildlife art genre who are committed to conservation. Many of the world's most recognized names in the field are actively involved. After seeing some of the collaborative art projects the Artists for Conservation were showcasing, Sarah says, I was floored. I have never felt such an alignment of values with an organization as I felt walking through the murals and the various artist booths that were attending. I have always painted, but with university and graduate school, time was limited. This woke up my soul and I painted a few pieces for a portfolio and applied to join their group in 2018. Unfortunately, she didn't get in with her first application. However, she applied a second time and was accepted in 2019. This came just four months before she completed her master's program. 
Sarah says, I took that as a calling to try and paint full time. My future husband and I bought and renovated a country house in Ontario to move back near family after leaving the area eight years prior. Sadly, we moved away from the ocean. The lower cost of living difference meant that we had some buffer of time to tightly live as a single income family while I made a go at being an artist. Her first goal was to create a painting good enough to be submitted to the Artists for Conservation annual jury show. She was hoping to make the top 200 to be included in their art book. The top 80 artists get invited to go on live tour. Sarah explained, I painted my heart out on this fur seal for over two months. The painting turned out gorgeous and is still one of my favorite pieces to date. The colors just glow in real life. All of the details in the seaweed are mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> I had a big reality check when I realized that to even come close to the minimum wage, I would need to sell it for almost $4,000 in Canadian currency. I didn't think this would be realistic for a nobody artist with one good painting to sell at such a high amount. In November of 2020, things began to change for Sarah. She says, I was almost done with the fur seal with high hopes of soon painting all of my best photography from the Falkland Islands. I needed to get the word out. Instead of just starting a new Instagram, I converted my personal one with around 400 followers to a now business account. Somehow I came across your profile. She's talking about me. <laughs> I watched you for a week or so. Then I decided to do a one week trial of the Artist Academy in December. I did this directly after finishing the first seal because you can learn a lot in a week. I didn't have any extra income coming in at all. And so I was debating taking a part-time job as an online data analysis. I really had no room for a subscription and a budget. I dove into all the material and was overwhelmed trying to process it all in a week. What I didn't realize right away was that it was not just about the resources on the site. From the first welcome in the Facebook group, I quickly learned the added advantage of a whole community you have built and the people you attract to your group. I was sold, and that was that. I went all in and started painting for the January 31-day challenge. I remember having this conversation with Sarah about the idea of creating 31 paintings in 31 days. She was skeptical but intrigued by the idea because she had just spent two months creating the first seal painting. You know, to go from spending two months on one painting to only one day on one painting would be a drastic shift for her. I remember her deciding that whales, since they didn't have fur, would be the best choice for something quick. Sarah adds, this was going to solidify my brand as an ocean artist. Thus, the 31 cetacean species collection was born. I had images of the nine whale species I had been lucky enough to witness and a lot of whale researching friends with images as well. I was also collaborating with a few wildlife underwater photographers I had become friends with over the years. From that personal network, I was able to get images from about 20 species. She chose different animals at random from a prepared collection at first and then began taking audience recommendations over Instagram. Sarah further explains, as time went on, I was overwhelmed by the detail I demanded of myself in these paintings. I was fighting my perfectionist soul that wanted to spend 40 to 300 hours on one piece. I cut it down to about 7 to 12 hours for each painting. The longest one in the series took 18 and a half hours. 
<laughs> what was more overwhelming was finding high quality reference images after I exhausted all of my personal resources. I kept getting requests to paint a blue whale, but I was having the toughest time at tracking down a credible image. Luckily, I remembered the beautiful blue whale skeleton that lived outside of my work while studying at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. This is Sarah's story copied from her submission to Artists for Conservation about the whale painting. Quote, on the remote northern west coast of PEI in 1987, a 26-meter-long mature female blue whale washed ashore. In most cases, when whales die, they sink far out to sea. In this rare opportunity, the Canadian Museum of Nature buried the whale and in 2018 launched a recovery expedition in hopes of what she could one day inspire if displayed. After two years of preparing and articulating the bones, the beautiful whale now lives in the Beatty Biodiversity Museum at the University of British Columbia as Canada's largest whale skeleton and is one of only 21 displayed worldwide. Sarah had found her blue whale reference with the skeleton installation. On day 24 of the challenge, she got to painting. With so many tiny bones, it was definitely the most challenging piece of the series for me, Sarah insisted. In May of 2020, Sarah submitted the fur seal to the Artists for Conservation juried show, along with a few other pieces, including the blue whale skeleton. She expressed her feelings as, when I received the email containing the juried results, my heart leaped and then stopped when I saw which painting was accepted. It was the blue whale skeleton and I was so completely unexpected. Not only that, but it was also among the top 80 selected, which meant I was going on tour with the live exhibit. <laughs> Sarah was invited to paint at the live exhibit amongst only five others. She went and was frequently asked for her autograph as attendees walked the exhibit with their art books in hand. How cool is that? She was famous for a day <laughs> and will continue to be, I'm sure. Sarah received a website inquiry for a painting with a $5,000 budget a month after the Artists for Conservation exhibit launched in Vancouver. Previously, the most a painting had sold for her was $1,200, which isn't bad, right? The Artists for Conservation uplifted her brand, so she was a notable member, and that put her on a playing level with some of the big-name wildlife artists. This is the impact of following your interests and aligning your art business with a bigger brand to help elevate your success. Damaging your brand. While we're on the subject of branding, I want to reflect on a few stories that I have in my back pocket to demonstrate how you can hurt your brand. That's right. There are some very easy and real ways you can unintentionally damage your reputation that you have worked so hard to build. One of the quickest ways to hurt your brand is not doing what you say you're going to do. It seems very simple, I know, to show up and deliver on what you've promised, right? Surprisingly, I've had many customers who have hired me to do a mural or a canvas painting who tell me that I wasn't the first artist they had reached out to. Quite a few people have informed me that artists have said that they would do a sketch for them, but have never gotten back to them with the work. I get it. It's often hard to find the motivation, and I have been there myself. When I was first starting out, I had a customer contact me for a painting of three ducks. <laughs> I was so excited about the opportunity because very few people were reaching out to me at this point. Now, any kind of lead still gave me butterflies at the time. I set up a time to go meet with a prospective customer and I drove 20 minutes to his home. 
The man explained to me how he had tried to get other artists to come out, but the plan always fell through. Or he would lose contact with them or something would happen. You know, so by the time he spoke to me, he was really hoping to get the job done. I've heard him out and told him how happy I was to create the painting of the three ducks for him. Before I left, we even discussed setting up art tutoring sessions for his daughters. There was multiple jobs and opportunities that could have come from working with this one customer. With the painting requirements in mind, I drove to the store to buy a canvas for the painting. I sketched out what I thought that the duck painting should look like and sent the customer for approval. He returned it with his thoughts and some corrections, but I was all set to paint after that. I remember painting just a little bit on the canvas before I set it aside. Eventually, it fell over and cat hair got all over what I started. So I knew I would probably have to start over. And sadly, that didn't happen. Unfortunately, I never finished the painting of the three ducks and it still haunts me a little bit. (laughs) To call me unreliable would have been a fair judgment at the time. I hadn't established healthy habits to give me the motivation to start and finish a painting outside of the classroom just yet. The idea of working was exciting, but I didn't love the idea of painting three ducks, if I'm being honest. (laughs) It was an odd painting request and I was still working with the mindset that I had to feel inspired to work. I was blocking myself for no reason from future jobs. I was also sending a signal to the universe that I actually didn't want to be a full-time artist. You know, be careful about the signals and impressions you are giving off because that can delay your progress. It was several months before I got another commission request. I think it's funny how many of us yearn to make painting a full-time job. However, when it comes time to actually do the work, (laughs) sometimes we put it off. We procrastinate and sometimes don't even complete it. You know, when you think about it like that, it shows how backward and contradictory that mindset is. Showing up late. Do you often show up late to dinner? Are you the type of person to text people that you're on your way when you haven't even put your pants on yet? (laughs) If this is you, then this may be a sign that you need to work on showing up on time before you create an art business. If you're showing up late to social gatherings, you probably formed a bad habit of not managing your time well, right? Your friends and family may forgive you or even think it's just part of your quirky personality. However, I can promise that your customers won't think about it in the same way. (laughs) This was me at one time too. (laughs) I was that person who showed up late to everything. I remember one time my friends tagged me in a post that read, Everyone knows a friend who shows up at 9 p.m. for a 6.30 movie. (laughs) Yikes. It was hard to realize this about myself because at the time, I blamed it on being a creative person. I thought, well, artists are just messy, flighty, independent, and I'm allowed to be late. I'm an artist. I didn't think I had to abide by anybody else's rules or expectations, but I was wrong. Being unreliable and late to jobs held me back for so long. In fact, I was once working on a mural for several weeks when I began to get bored of the project. I lost my motivation and fell into the habit of showing up late every single morning. It started out to be about 10 minutes late and it was 15 and then maybe 10 and then 20. I was late every day. I would come in and take my time to get my workday started. And for this particular project, I was working alongside another artist who was much more experienced than I was. He noticed that I had made a habit of coming in late and he confidently delivered a piece of advice that I have not forgotten to this day. He said, you know, the easiest way to show someone that you don't want to be somewhere is to show up late. 
He said casually, but ouch. (laughs) It was kind of hard to hear, but I had trained myself to be a student. And after that initial sting wore off, I took his advice to heart and started showing up on time every morning, even though it's just not my favorite time of day. As a positive example, years later, I regularly painted for a customer and would come by to paint his statues to make things look more new and expensive for him. That's what he wanted. I don't know. Every few months, we would schedule two to three days for me to come out to his residence and work on whatever he needed to be retouched. He loved the work I was doing and the speed at which I was doing it. However, he mostly commented on how I showed up on time every single day without fail. I thought these compliments were kind of strange because I was showing up at 10 a.m. every day. It's not like I was pulling up at the crack of dawn, you know? After I thought about it, though, I could see that this customer valued timeliness. He had many employees running his own business, so he had quite a bit of experience when it came to managing people. I'm sure he was used to struggling to get employees to show up on time. I would never claim to be perfect, but I have grown into the person who now gets aggravated when others show up late. I just have very little patience for it anymore. But whatever, I catch myself thinking things like, I wish they could just get their shit together. Or why? What are they doing? You know, (laughs) when this happens, I try to remind myself that I used to be that person and they will learn on their own time the importance of showing up on time. Chapter 15, Take Ownership of Your Brand. When you become a full-time artist, you will no longer be at the mercy of someone telling you what to do in every single part of your day. It's weird at first, but there won't be a manager making you clock in to your shift on time and a supervisor will no longer be coaching you on how to be a better salesperson. While this may seem like a blessing at first, it also happens to be why many artists struggle to build a reputable art brand. Even though you aren't working for anyone else, your customers will still expect you to show up when you say you will. (laughs) They're still expecting you to create the painting you said you're going to make for them. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? Well, since nobody will be there to manage your schedule, it'll be up to you to self-motivate yourself enough to make it happen. You're the owner of your business. Therefore, you set the rules. As you know from my section about creating your own brand, you can also decide what vibe you're putting out into the world. Do you want to be known as the artist who never shows up or completes work? Then don't show up and stop completing work. (laughs) Do you want to build a reputation for showing up on time and delivering what you promised? Then that's what you should be doing. (laughs) Taking ownership of your brand involves you holding yourself accountable for all aspects of what happens. Taking ownership includes no longer playing the victim when it comes to making a mistake and you're called out on it. Please note that I know that this oftentimes comes with maturing and becoming more self-aware with time. However, I think that the process can be kickstarted by reflecting and taking responsibility for your own actions. You see, I used to think that everyone was out to get me. (laughs) If something negative happened, it was not my fault. I made it a dramatic occasion and took no blame for what happened. In my mind, I truly thought that I played no part in anything bad that ever happened to me. I was innocent and a victim to all the crimes happening around me. Didn't everybody know? (laughs) While we aren't always responsible for every horrible thing that happens to us, we can't overlook the fact that we often put ourselves in those situations. 
In relation to running an art business, this can include the customers you take on, the projects you say yes to, and even the deadlines you agree to meet. If you agree to paint a boring piece and then fail to deliver, that's on you. (laughs) The customer has a right to be annoyed, and it's best if you face that mistake head on and learn from it. A non-productive approach would be to play the victim and refuse to see where they went wrong and correct the situation. But since you are your own boss, you have to be willing to check yourself for the sake of your own brand. Remember, people talk and word spreads fast. Be careful about what you give people to talk about. News rarely stays with just one person. Your customers are the lifeline of your business and will recommend you to future customers. If you're great to work with, you will receive rave reviews, even if your painting isn't amazing. People do business with people they like. If your painting is mind-blowing and your relationship with the customer is positive, then that is the ultimate word of mouth advertising. I guarantee that perfect match of a customer will brag about you to everyone. Mistakes are going to happen. There's a lot of moving parts in owning an art business and painting murals. There are quite a few small and large steps to accomplish between the initial design and communication with the buyer to the setup and execution. I'm telling you this to prepare you, but not to scare you. (laughs) Even when you have a lot on your plate, you can't use being busy as an excuse to deflect fault if something goes wrong. You know, if something happens as the art business owner, it is absolutely your fault. However, the sooner you begin to anticipate possible issues and address them before they happen, the easier your life will be. When problems arise, It's also helpful if you're willing to take responsibility for your role. This will show customers that they can trust you to be honest and it'll help you to grow as an accountable professional. For example, let's say a customer comes to you confused about why they are being charged so much. A responsible business owner would rationalize how they probably didn't explain it clearly enough the first time and find a better way to break down the price quote for the customer. It wouldn't be productive to simply get defensive and blame the customer for not getting it the first time. Like mistakes are going to happen and that's okay. Communication is everything though. But what is important is how you approach the mistakes and learn from them. If you're not sure how to do something, it will be your job to figure out and answer the question for yourself. This may be hard at first, but there is something incredibly liberating to know that you can stand on your own. Just be nice. Artists have a reputation for being hard to work with. Why is that? I'm not sure, but I know it's the stereotype that has been placed upon us. Perhaps there are artists out there who may be lacking business knowledge, but do offer good customer service. Perhaps there are artists out there who lacking business knowledge do offer good customer service. Again, I don't know why artists are notorious for being difficult, but I'm determined to combat that perception. The best way to fight this assumption about artists is to put yourself in the customer's shoes. Explain your process clearly and thoroughly answer all of their questions. Even better, encourage your customers to ask questions and welcome any suggestions that they might have. If you have to deviate from the original plan, make sure to give your customers plenty of notice. At the end of the day, someone is hiring you to make their vision come true. You might as well make it a pleasant experience. Mindful text communication. When texting or emailing, it can be easy to send a quick, short message just to get your point across. While you may not have bad intentions, this can come off as snappy or impatient. 
To prevent coming off the wrong way, you can review each message before you send it. Just make sure you reassure your customer that you are working with them as a team to make their project fit their expectations. Avoid using slang, shorthand, or like text talk, or also use correct punctuation. You know, I think it's, I think it's okay to, you know, be very friendly, uh, but there's a line between, you know, misspelling a lot of words and never using a period or a comma. It's just that there's a line there. Let's be professional, but upbeat. Although you don't need perfect grammar and punctuation to be a talented artist, people notice and appreciate the professionalism. When I text my friends, we communicate openly with no consideration for grammar. I put all of my thoughts into one run-on sentence and my friend groups will think nothing of it. However, I make sure to proofread all of my emails and texts when I'm sending them to potential or existing customers. A young artist once reached out to me asking if I needed any help with a mural. She offered to come out and assist me through the project. And the message from the artist was honestly, it was hard to read. (laughs) There were, it was about four to five sentences crammed together with no punctuation whatsoever. It was clear that she did not reread her text for grammar and did not consider how her text may be perceived. I responded by simply saying, using improper grammar is not the way to get what you want in this world. Let's try that again. She never responded. (laughs) What can I say? Whether customers say it bluntly as I did or just deny your request without an explanation, using sloppy communication methods can lose you a job. Dress accordingly. As much as I would like to say that it does not matter what you wear to a job site, it actually does. With this advice, I'm going to save you from looking concerningly underdressed or like a saucy vixen or any other level of unprofessionalism. Keep in mind that I am often speaking to my younger self in these bits of advice because they are usually from a story from my past to explain why I'm relaying these tips. You are a professional artist and so now you should dress the part. Avoid just wearing clothes that you don't mind getting paint on. You know, there's more to it than just wearing, you know, the worst clothes in your closet. That's what hobby artists do. Instead, dress to the level of the job site. For example, you should probably dress up a bit if you are at a live painting event. You know, since guests at live charity events often wear formal wear, you know, it would, wouldn't seem right if you showed up in an oversized holy t-shirt. Likewise, it would be odd if you wore heels to a construction site. You also probably shouldn't wear, you know, form-fitting leggings made out of thin material that could be seen as revealing at a construction site, unless, of course, you want that type of attention. In my case, that was not the type of attention I was comfortable receiving at work. So yes, there's a story behind this too. Leggings, girl. Shortly before I made painting my full-time job, I worked as a full-time promo girl. I've told you, but as a quick reminder, promo girls are the women who basically pass out shots at the bar representing alcohol brands. And sometimes they stand next to nice cars at shows or behind product booths to promote different companies or brands. It wasn't all bikinis, alcohol, and fancy vehicles. You know, part of the time we wore khakis, but most of the time we wore leggings. I definitely got the job mostly for my looks and not necessarily for a certain talent that I had other than just being friendly and being able to talk about a product. (laughs) All we were required to do was smile, hand out supplies, and sometimes speak with people about the benefits of the products or services we were promoting for the day. I was making an average of $20 per hour, and I thought I had struck 
gold. I was still in college and that was the most I had ever been offered from an hourly wage. During my time as a promo girl, I met some of my favorite people in the world who later became bridesmaids at my wedding. We we had a blast. But we did this job wearing khakis, leggings, bikinis, dresses, crop tops, branded shirts, and anything else we were given to help us promote. The attire was definitely not business casual. And after working this job for two years, it became ingrained in me to act and dress a certain way to gain attention. This strategy greatly helped me with my art business, except for one particular time. I had flown down to Tennessee to work my first job for the outdoor store. I showed up not knowing what to expect, and I was excited to begin creating art for a living instead of relying on my looks to make money. So for that first day, I was wearing leggings and a tight black shirt representing an energy drink brand. (laughs) It was the clothing that I was accustomed to wearing for the past two years. And so that's just what I was in the habit of. I wasn't aware that my first job would be on a construction site because I had just assumed that the outdoor store was, it was built and it was completed. But truly, I thought we would be working in an empty building with no construction workers. As I walked inside, the security thought that I was there to sell energy drinks. (laughs) They were confused and asked if I had the right location and if I needed directions to a different place. After all, I was on a construction site. So after I told them that I was actually there to paint, (laughs) they looked at me even more strangely and directed me towards the imagery department in the back. The other artists didn't say anything about my attire as I introduced myself to them and the other staff members at the job site. I didn't think much about what I was wearing because it felt familiar and it was comfortable. Go figure. I decided that leggings would be a good choice for the next workday as well. <laughs> I often wore leggings when I painted at home because I didn't mind getting them dirty. It felt natural just to wear what I always wore. I cringe now. When I think about these naive moments I had in the beginning, but (laughs) you live and you learn. (laughs) I made it about three days before somebody approached me in the bathroom to give me a tip about how to dress on the job site. I believe she said something like, hey, you might want to wear actual pants on the construction site tomorrow. I immediately felt embarrassed. My first reaction was to get defensive, but then I reflected and wondered, if I had in fact made the wrong decision. After work that day, I went straight to the department store and I bought the most masculine looking pants I could find. They were cargo pants with pockets on the sides and those baggy britches were perfect for the construction site. And I left the store with five pairs. As soon as I walked in the door the next day, one of the older artists proudly and humorously remarked, oh, she decided to wear pants today. This was a different person than the one who had given me the suggestion in the bathroom the previous day. That remark was enough to show me that more than one person thought my leggings weren't appropriate for the job site. A few weeks later, word traveled back to me that I was being referred to as the leggings girl across the company. They didn't know my actual first name or my last name, and I felt like they thought I was demanding attention from my clothing choices. But previously, I had not thought of leggings as sexual or provocative. Now, I'm not sure how I couldn't, but I mean, since they hug my body so tightly that they leave just about nothing to the imagination. But after finding out about my company-wide nickname, I decided that I didn't want any type of attention anymore. 
to prove it. I showed up in my old high school t-shirts that were baggy and way too big for my body. Those shirts paired with the cargo pants were perfect for the construction site. To top off my efforts, I also decided I wasn't wearing makeup anymore. Really, I didn't need it. I didn't want it. My job as a painter on a construction site didn't require me to look like a promo girl anymore. I also wasn't going to a photo shoot and I didn't see people for the majority of the day. I was just staring at a wall. So I turned my decision to not wear makeup into something positive. Instead of packing on makeup each day, I decided to focus on the quality of my skin and to only put on lotions and oils to keep it healthy and hydrated. We were literally working around dirt all day anyway and dust. So I was just trying to spin it and just make it through. Nowadays, I've come to a happy middle. (laughs) I mostly wear the same pair of Carhartt black pants on job sites. They're comfortable and they fit me and there are paint speckles all over them from years of painting. They're actually kind of a great mix between cargo pants and leggings. They're like really thick and black and sort of tight, but they have like a bunch of pockets everywhere. So yeah, those are my go-to pants. (laughs) No more cargo pants, no more leggings. So the shirts I wear fit me without being too tight or oversized nowadays. They're also newer shirts that aren't on the verge of being thrown away. You know, I think this just helps me look like a professional artist and not just a high school kid reminiscing about the old days. So the shirts I buy for painting are usually around $10 and they're typically pink. Now, discovering that balance between business and casual wear has been a process full of trial and error for me. You know, I've been from one extreme to the other and I've since found a balance between the two. What you wear and how you present yourself will become part of your brand. Think of it this way. You know, if you were painting and ran into an important customer today, would they be impressed with your appearance or would they be discouraged by your clothing choices? Do you look professional enough to paint one minute and then head straight to a meeting? You're a painter, so people definitely will excuse paint stains, but a sloppy or provocative appearance may be a turnoff though. It's up to you, but this is my advice. I really don't consider myself a fashionable person because I've always prioritized comfort over everything. You know, I believe you could have both a comfy outfit that also looks good. And at the very least, you just need to have perfectly comfortable shoes that don't make your feet ache at the end of a 10-hour painting day. Over the years, I found that high-quality running shoes make the best footwear to paint in. Although they cost around $100, they are durable and support my arch in a way that makes me feel like I'm walking on clouds. Shoes are definitely a good investment. If you would like to see an example of what I'm currently wearing on job sites, please feel free to check out my Instagram at Earhart. This will give you an idea of what I wear day to day. And since I believe what we wear is part of our brand, try to brainstorm what you can wear that represents you while maintaining comfort and professionalism. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. I've been putting out at least one episode per week for more than four years on this podcast. And it's really cool to see those download numbers go up and up as time goes on. And that's because artists like you listen and share these episodes. So really... 
when I say thank you, I mean it. <laughs> it's really cool to see progress along the way. And anyway, if you like this type of art and business content, then I highly encourage you to get the audio version of my book, Mural Money, with over 15 hours of listening inspiration. I'm currently running a special of just $17 for the audio version. You can go to muralmoney.com to find it. And that comes with a bunch of extras like my art supply list, my pricing guide, recommended book and podcast list, and so much more. I filled that book with tips from my art journey of building a profitable mural career. Plus, I've included the best of the best advice from guests I've interviewed on this podcast. It's the most affordable all-in-one book of advice on art and business that I have. And if you enjoy listening to me here, then I know you'll like the book too because I read it myself all 15 hours of it. <laughs> the book is available on Amazon and Audible normally for $25, but if you go to muralmoney.com, that is where you can grab the special $17 deal while it lasts. If you haven't listened to my book yet, this is your sign to do it. Again, normally $25, running a special for $17, but you have to go to muralmoney.com. That's where you can grab the audio version of it. And that's all I have for you today. So I will see you next week for another episode of the Artist Academy podcast.